back to the second exciting episode of Krypton. Everything you need to know for the upcoming sci-fi show, Krypton. Uh, I am Aaron Moss, one of your hosts, and joining me today, as usual, is my co-host, Pat Sampson. Hello. Hey there, Pat. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Ready to talk some Krypton. Me too. <laughs> and our... Uh, Let's our, get our Krypton. <laughs> and our third host, uh, Matt. He decided not to join us today because he heard of some of Pat's jokes. No. Oh. <laughs> he had some personal issues, so he's taking the day off. But joining us today, we do have an extra special guest. We have from Superman Forever Radio, the wonderful and talented Mr. Bob Fisher. Ooh, hey there, Bob. special. You are Ooh. special. I feel so special. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun. I like I like talking Krypton. I like to talk about Krypton. Krypton. All right, Marlon. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somebody could have tapped him on the shoulder after he said it the first time. Ago, uh, excuse me. I know we're paying you a chazillion amount of dollars to be here for these two days, but it's Krypton, not Krypton. Okay? Let's try that again. Thanks, Marlon. Would somebody really do that to Marlon Brando? <laughs> <laughs> they apparently didn't back then. No. Yeah. I can imagine the conversation going in the background. He's saying it wrong. That's Marlon F. Brando. You go correct him. He's rolling. You know, Keep rolling. You know I, I, uh, I saw that movie uh, uh, when it opened in real time, 1978, in Washington, D.C., at the premiere. Oh, uh, I didn't even really realize at the time. It's kind of a long story, but I, I, and I'll make it real quick, but... When I saw the movie there for the first time, uh, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and I worked at a radio station, and a friend of mine worked at Warner Brothers Records, and they were always trying to get us to play music that we didn't play, Donna Summer or disco or something, and we were kind of rock and roll. So, you know, I kind of made a joke. I said, you know, give me a couple of tickets to the Superman movie coming out next month, and we'll talk about playing whatever it is you want to play. I was kidding, joking, right? And they showed up a couple of weeks later with uh, three tickets. He said, I couldn't get you the fourth. And I didn't realize that. And he said, oh, by the way, you got to go up to Washington because I couldn't get you anything here. It doesn't start for another couple of weeks. So I said, okay, fine. We drove up. My wife, who was just my girlfriend at that point, and her younger brother, we drove up. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty big deal. All these searchlights and spotlights and cop cars everywhere and Wow, they're making a big deal. I had no idea that in the balcony, President Carter and his daughter, Amy, were also in the oh, same wow. field. Oh, wow. Watching this big premiere of Superman the movie. Uh, it was it was quite cool. It was very cool. But even then, I went, I would turn to my wife and said, it's Krypton, not Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. But as you guys listening to us may hear, uh, Mr. Bob is a, a bit of a Superman fan. A little bit, a little he bit. does his own show on Superman, uh, a little bit of Superman, man. So uh, before we go any <laughs> further, Bob, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the listening audience, in case they haven't heard of you or listened to your show. Let them know, uh, you know who you are and maybe a little bit about your, your Superman and comic book origins, where you came from. And Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm uh, of the Silver Age as far as uh, my age, so... Um, uh, it, it, I was a little kid in the late 50s, so I actually got to watch George Reeves on the Adventures of Superman TV show in real time as it aired. Here in Richmond, it aired on Tuesday nights, I think. I don't really remember which night, but I think in the past I have looked it up before, and an old TV guide or something listed it as 
Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. here in Richmond. And that was my first um, um, exposure to Superman. I didn't I was four when uh, I started watching Superman. And I remember one summer went down uh, like we, we did regularly throughout the year would uh, visit Manteo, North Carolina, which is where my mother is from. And we got down there, my, uh, I was talking to my cousin who was a little older than me. I guess I was four and a half. He was six and a half. So, you know, mm, really old. He was a big kid. And, and I said, oh, let's go watch Superman. I want to watch Superman. And, and Manny only had one TV channel at the time and another one that was kind of fuzzy. And they didn't get Superman. But my cousin said, oh, if you like Superman – and we went out to the barn in the backyard, literally a barn where they kept a lot of the stuff stored, all their tools. And, you know, my grandfather had, uh, well, they had a huge garden. It was a working kind of farm place, not like with cows, but with chickens and pigs and, you know, that kind of stuff. And we went out to the barn and over to the right side of the back of the barn was a big black traveling trunk, like you've seen in old movies on ships, big black with little silver you know, attaching things all around it. It looked very cool. My cousin opened that trunk and uh, there was three or four dozen golden age and atomic age comic books. And right on top was Superman volume one, number 43. Uh, and I still have that comic and that's the comic I learned to read. So it had a Lex Luthor story in it. It had, uh, it was Wayne boring artwork. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Superman in color. We didn't have a color TV. We had a black and white TV. So mm. I was just amazed. I took that comic in, and, and my mother read it to me over and over. And then I'd stop her and say, what's that word? Oh, indestructible. Cool. So, uh, you know, by the time I got to first grade a couple of years later, I knew words like invulnerable and indestructible and time barrier and uh, – when they gave us the book and I'm reading see Dick run, see Jane run, I'm going, okay, cool. What's his superpower? Who is he? Come on. Let's get on with a story here. Come on. Come so, on. Ain't got all day. Yeah. So when you start to read comics at four or five before you go to school, by the time you get to those first grade primers or primers uh, learning simple reading Man, I was so bored. I said, come on, let's get on. What's his secret identity? What kind of costume has he got? Who is he? Where's the bad guy? He oh, here comes that. Zeke the gardener. <laughs> he's going to be the bad guy. No, he's just another guy. Okay, cool. But uh, So that was really how I got into comics. And I was hooked immediately as a little kid right then with George Reeves on TV. And uh, now I had a comic book. And actually that, that – uh, that very summer, uh, one Saturday, we were there for several weeks. I went to uh, – we would go to a movie. They had one little theater in town, and right next to the little movie theater was uh, a drugstore. And I bet it's still there. I haven't been to Manio in years, and I'm sure they've updated and everything. But I guarantee you that little movie theater and the drugstore next door to it are still there. Uh, and there was uh, – uh, now with my new fascination with comic books – my eye went right to a spinner rack when we walked into that drugstore after the movie. And uh, I just looked for something that had Superman on it. There were no Superman comics, but there was an adventure comic number 225, I think was the number. And it had Superboy on the cover. And I went, oh, I'll take that. Plopped down my first dime for my first comic in, 19, in the summer of 1956. 
Superboy's bodyguard. <laughs> he was going to testify in a in a trial. So they assigned him a bodyguard, Clark Kent, a bodyguard. Uh, and he's a kid. Right. So right. now the bodyguard is chasing him all over Smallville while he's trying to get away from him to you know, save kids on bridges and bikes and whatever boy stuff. It was, you know, very cool. Very, very cool. I loved it. And I was hooked forever. So uh, from that point, I have been reading comic books now since the summer of 1956. A couple of times I stopped once in the mid 80s. Thank you, John Byrne. And um, <laughs> we'll get to that. And then, uh, somewhere around uh, uh, 2000 or so, I dropped out for a while. But pretty much I've been into comics and superhero stuff since then. Very good. And then that's why I've asked you, because I know you're you're a very much of a, a big pre-crisis Superman fan. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, I've got two Superman, super, two Superman, Superman okay. experts. Okay. I call upon. <laughs> I got, I know Bob Fisher is pre-crisis and Michael Bailey is post-crisis. <laughs> yeah, boy. And those are great conversations when Mike and I get together. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> we have uh, learned to appreciate each, appreciate each other's areas. So um, I've, I've uh, sent him a few Silver Age things that that he has, uh, you know, I think he sees the Silver Age with different eyes now. And I also see the 90s with, with very different eyes. I think once you get past that initial uh, John Byrne trying to rewrite the entire history of the guy right. and overthink everything and think, you know, what? What do you mean the cape's not indestructible? What do you mean? Oh, come on! Stop overthinking <laughs> crying out loud. So uh, I think once you get past that, you know, uh, once Dan Jurgens and all those guys get hold of him, yeah. uh, they wrote some really good stories in the post-crisis era, but, but I, it's still the Silver Age is the best. There's, <laughs> You don't get any better than that. So, but I like some of the others. Let's, you know. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. As I talked about before, I mean, I've read a few Superman comics here and there. I grew up on, you know, the, the Christopher Reeve uh, movie. Right. But I didn't get into comics until 87, 88. So when I got actually buying comics, reading comics, the John Byrne, the post-Christ Superman was my Superman. I loved all those stories. Right. And as I've talked with some of you guys about before, there are some things that, while I enjoyed it because that's what was there when I started, I, I do find some of John's concepts, as you said, he were thought a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I guess he was a big fan of the Krypton from the '77 uh, Superman movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very exactly. Cool but exactly. You know, and and I, you know, I make fun of John Byrne, and I will give him some grief sometime. Not personally, I've never met the guy, of course. But, you know, as a critic and as uh, a Superman fan of well over 50 years now, uh, actually, it's my 60. We're starting my 63rd year of reading comic books coming up. That's a lot of years to read comic books. Hmm. But, you know, I can give John Byrne a lot of crap. But, um, you know, what you can't really take away from the guy is that I think he really did have a genuine love for the character. I think he really wanted to do uh, some good things with the character. And it was really the DC higher ups that said John Byrne was perfectly willing to come to DC. And he thought when he got the job that he was going to be continuing to write for the character of Superman that had been established uh, through the Silver and Bronze Age. He was he thought he was going to just be the next Carrie Bates and Kurt Swan. 
he, he that was going to be the Superman he thought he was going to be writing, and he was perfectly happy with that. And then they it was the higher ups at DC said, no, 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 we're starting over, and we want him to truly be the last survivor of Krypton. And then once they did that, of course, then they go, oh, wait, wow, all these people really liked Superboy and they really liked Supergirl. And they really liked the Legion and they really like, oh, no, how are we going to bring all that stuff back? Oh, I know. Let's do some really convoluted stories and have clones and Matrix and other things. But let's not give them the real guys. Let's <laughs> give them the names because they like the name. No, we want the. Re- OK, fine. Go ahead. Great. Yes. Fine. <laughs> Well, things we tolerate over 60 years of Superman comics. But uh, so I give him crap. But I think John Byrne actually did like the character. Uh, I think my biggest complaint since this show is about Krypton. And see, I'm a pro. I'm going to bring it right back. Yeah. To there you go. There you go. My, <laughs> my biggest complaint with John Byrne outside of of uh, getting rid of Supergirl and Superboy. And I think those came from higher up. I. I the only thing I liked about his Krypton is that it exploded. <laughs> and I, I, hear that, I hear that from a lot of people that, you know, and yeah. that's one thing I do agree with that. Like I said, he, he, I guess, favored the more sterile, colder in quotes, Krypton. Yeah, and like most people said, yeah, that Krypton, you, you didn't really lose anything with it exploding. Whereas the, the pre-crisis <laughs> was full of life and it was sad to see that world go. It was a planet you were sad to see explode, you know, and, and it's really something because when you start talking about the pre-crisis or the original Krypton, the Silver Age Krypton, and to some degree, uh, Golden Age, you know, you really have to thank Superboy and Mort Weisinger for the development of Krypton prior to really Superboy in the mid 40s. That's what Krypton was there for. A lot of times they didn't even say the name. It was you know, rocketed as a baby from an exploding planet, then rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Then when you had Superboy, you have two things that come in in larger content or or more storylines. Once you have Superboy, you have the Kents, which again, the Kents uh, in the Golden and Atomic Age were barely mentioned. And if they were mentioned, they were mentioned as, quote, the Kents. It, they really did very few stories. Superman did rarely went into the past, if at all. It was mid-40s, 44. Now we've got Superboy. So now we can also tell the stories of him growing up in Smallville. That's when the Smallville and everybody who nowadays wants to say uh, Clark Kent and the Superman who got, you know, this this wholesome Midwestern values of the good guy and always do the right thing. That didn't come about until Superboy. Just like that, Krypton was not explored, was was barely mentioned in the Golden Age. In the Atomic Age, once we've got Superboy, then they start going back a little more. And then we see stories about guys getting out of uh, not the Phantom Zone yet, but other people who who survived the explosion and ended up on Earth, uh, supervillains, uh, Superman's big brother. You find out he's not really his big brother, of course, and uh, all of these other stories. But it took his next-door neighbor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
you know, and it was a, it was amazing during the Silver Age how many things actually floated to Earth from that exploding planet and how much of it was directly from Jor-El's laboratory or crypt or, you know, it, it was it was pretty amazing that the, the trunk of uh, um, scientific things that were too too dangerous for us Earth people to have. Oh, but that's a cute little projector. I'll hold on to that. Oh, that ray gun looks pretty cool. I wish I had a place to put it. Oh, I'll put it in my parents' basement. Good idea there, <laughs> Superboy. <laughs> but uh, but no, the, the Krypton stuff is what really took off uh, uh, under the leadership of Mort Weisinger. Uh, once he became the full-time editor, um, that's when we start seeing real development. And if you could say there was any continuity at all in the Silver Age, you're seeing it because of the iron hand that Mort Weisinger brought down in the comic books. Well, um, well they, yeah, they, bring, they have a question for you then, Bob, on that. Was Did you notice any difference then from the Golden Age Krypton to the Silver Age? Did things change there? Yeah, they did, but not not as much as okay. as uh, uh, what came after. They the, the the interesting thing I think about all of those, you know, the pre-burn era, is that any kind of changes that came in the continuity or in the story came within the story. It came on the page, and it was an add-on, or it, they tried to do it kind of an organic way. Uh, an example is uh, uh, Clark Kent leaving the Daily Planet, going to the WGBS uh, in the to kind of say, oh, the Bronze Age, weaker powers, no more kryptonite, and now he's a TV reporter. Okay, They didn't all of a sudden say, hey, we're rebooting him, and now these things are happening, and oh, by the way, he's a TV reporter. They brought characters in into the story. So we basically went from the golden age all the way through up to 1986 or seven and any changes to Krypton or his history or Brainiac or any of those things happened in storyline. And they would say, you know, you'd get a little editor's note as seen in volume, whatever Superman, they didn't have volume mm-hmm. numbers back then. It was all the same, but, but so, so to answer your question, yes, there was a change, but the change was subtle and in story. And since writers didn't get credit for Superman comics in those days, had no idea. The only thing I knew as an early kid, a little kid, is that uh, under the name Superman, it would say created by Siegel and Schuster. So I would say whoever those guys are, they must be the guys who are doing all of this. I have no idea. They're, that's who they are. Uh, I was literally... 19 or 20 years old before I realized uh, Kurt Swan's name. I knew his picture. I knew that's the guy I like. This is the artwork I like, but I didn't know his name until a letter page in 1968 or 69. They gave credit to him. But other comics in the early 60s in D.C., Gardner Fox over at the Atom, Flash, Carmine Infantino. Some of these guys were getting credit. Gil Kane, Sid Green, some of these guys doing the Adam and Green Lantern. And when they started bringing the Golden Age guys back, but redoing them for the Silver Age, some of these guys were getting credit, not Superman's guys. Mm. It was it was late 60s, 69 and into 70 before we started to actually see Carrie Bates name 
or Kurt Swan or Elliot S. Magan or, you know, uh, these guys that then in the Bronze Age, we started to see Superman's creators, the team that put them together. But prior to 1970, if you want to go from 1940, technically 1940 is when he started through 1970. Nothing was published that had to do with Superman that didn't come across Mort Weisinger's desk. Now, he didn't do all of the writing, but in those days, the editor, um, he had the power. If he didn't want a story published, it didn't get published. If he wanted a story about a big-headed Superman from the future, he would say, Ed Hamilton, I like you. You're a science fiction writer. We work together in the pulps. Now go write me a big-headed Superman story. And they would do that. Sometimes Kurt Swan would draw or, or Mort Weisinger would say, Kurt, give me a cover that shows uh, Lex Luthor beating up Superman. And then he would give that cover to Otto Bender or, or, or one of his science fiction writers and say, here, now go write me a story based on this cover. People give credit to Marvel because Marvel did that. But Mort Weisinger was doing that back in the 40s before, you know, Marvel was even thinking about it or even existing as a superhero thing. So there was a lot of things, but you really can't underestimate or under, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is right now, but you can't undervalue the contribution of Mort Weisinger to the history of Superman during the Silver Age. So even Krypton, when we got the stories of, um, uh, even that Jerry Siegel wrote, uh, one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, Superman goes back to Krypton. Uh, I think it's issue 141 or 142 of Volume 1 Superman, written by Jerry Siegel. Uh, the cover art is Kurt Swan, but the interior is Wayne Boring. But the, the, the dailies that came out a year later is almost word for word the exact same story, but in three panel bits to make it in the daily black and white newspaper mm. strips, okay. uh, except it was drawn by Kurt Swan. And so it's a black, you got a black and white Kurt Swan version in the newspaper, but in the comic book, a color version drawn by uh, uh, Wayne Boring. And it's terrific to look at those two side by side to see the exact same story, same layout. Everything is same except two different artists drawing them. And it's the two big artists of the Silver Age, Wayne Boring who really gave way then to uh, Kurt Swan, who dominated the Silver Age. But it was actually Kurt Swan's uh, Krypton that that I fell in love with, the look of it, the feel of it. And uh, so it's Jerry Siegel, Otto Bender, Ed Hamilton, those kind of guys. And then, of course, drawn by Kurt Swan. And that, to me, is the, is the great, great, Krypton because it's got things like the firefalls. It, it, it just, as a kid, your imagination just runs wild. How can there be rivers of fire? And then they have these great waterfalls, but they're not water, it's fire. And the mountains are made of crystals. And then they have scarlet jungles that, you know, it's just this gorgeous, beautiful planet. And the people are. It's a utopian future of Earth is kind of the angle they went. If we were good guys and if we were to keep going and, you know, the best possible outcome for humanity, if we continue on a good uh, path and devote ourselves to fact and truth and science, we could end up being Krypton. Now, in the Silver Age, Krypton blew up by nothing of its own problem. It was the sun and other problems. 
modern age Krypton, uh, I think they're trying to make it, you know, uh, Earth-like and that they 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 destroy their own planet by, you know, using up all of its resources and not doing what they needed to do early enough to save their planet. So we can draw some correlations there. But no, I think the Silver Age is the planet because once you get started with the Silver Age and then they start just going on and on about all these different things. And then we have time travel because, of course, in the Silver Age, Superman and Supergirl and Crypto and all the super people could fly through time under their own power. They didn't need a time bubble. They didn't need a TARDIS. They didn't need it. They could just say, well, I want to go back to 1932. Okay, Rainbow, yay, get out at the yellow one because it's 1932. <laughs> and there we are. So I always just ate that up. And as a kid, once you suspend your 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 disbelief and you're ready to believe this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I had no problem with a multiverse, with a, a you know, a, a, a multiple universes that all had different kinds of variations on people. I had no problem with that. Uh, that's another reason why in the 80s we didn't need them to go, oh, it's too complicated. Nobody can understand it. No, maybe you don't understand it. I had no problem as a 10-year-old totally understanding a multiverse and the fact that, yes, there's a weird Superman with a beard over there or a weird Spock with a beard. <laughs> hmm, how interesting is that? Of course, I was a teenager when that came out. But <laughs> the point is still valid. So. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, yes, when it comes to the, my favorite version of Krypton, it is the uh, atomic slash silver age. It started under the Wayne Boring artwork and uh, with Jerry Siegel and Otto Bender and uh, Edmund Hamilton. There's some terrific stories. There's one of my favorite Lois Lane stories is uh, kind of a reverse. Uh, her father sent her to Krypton. Because Earth was having problems. And uh, uh, he gave her powers because so she could survive there because everything was heavy and backwards. So she wouldn't gain powers by going there. So her father gave her powers here so she would survive there. And she becomes the superhero of Krypton. And, of course, uh, Kal-El falls in love with her, and it's got a terrible ending. It's such a great story mm. with a terrible, terrible ending. Uh, <laughs> I guess I can spoil a 50-year-old yeah. comic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at the very end, uh, everything is going so great. Uh, she's a nurse. He's a doctor. She's the superhero. But she gets exposed to this Earthite stuff that takes away all of her powers and gives them to him. So the story ends with Kal-El once again being Superman and not Lois, but Lois pining for her uh, man of steel. So it was just terrible. It should have ended with her keeping her powers. But in the last two panels of that story, if all these great things happening, oops. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but and as a kid, I'm sure I loved it and kind of went, ah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nowadays, I think, ooh, that would have been a much better story had they, you know, let her keep the powers and yeah. him become a great scientist doctor like his dad and do other things, work together as a team or something. That couldn't, but, that couldn't happen. She's a girl. <laughs> but she's a girl. Exactly. Sadly, exactly. that was the mind. Exactly. And exactly. And a 1959 girl 
cannot be the only sole superhero and be better than Superman himself. Sorry, can't happen. Then, too bad. But uh, that was 159, Superman 159. Great Swan cover. And you get to see Krypton that looks really cool. Futuristic buildings. One of them is toppling as uh, Lois Lane in her purple and yellow uh, uh, Supergirl outfit flies up to save the building as Kal-El is pining. Oh, I wish I had superpowers. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a great cover. Did you... Notice any difference between you said you watched the TV series? Yes. Any difference in the Krypton portrayed there, if there was, uh, to to the comic that was currently at the time, or did they kind of you know make sure they were on the same track? Well, yeah, it was weird because uh, Mort Weisinger, editor of the comic book, was also the story editor for the TV show. And in the second season, particularly, uh, but after the first episode called Superman on Earth, we don't see or hear from Krypton ever again. They okay. uh, the first episode is Superman, the movie it, it in 24 minutes. It's Superman, the movie. It's in three parts. It's Krypton. It's uh, the little boy in Smallville, his mom telling him about it, how he got his parents, his father dying, and, and his mother giving him a costume and saying, you know, I put it in your suitcase. Make sure you wear it. And, you know, get on out there. And he leaves and goes to Metropolis, and we never hear from her or Smallville or Krypton ever again. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrific episode. And it sets him up perfectly as uh, as really the Golden Age burn type superhero. He's not Superboy in the Adventures of Superman. He doesn't become a superhero and put the costume on until he's a man, an adult in Metropolis. So uh, we don't see him doing any, you know, he tells his mom that uh, he's different. And he asks her, why can I do things that other kids can't. Why do I jump higher, run faster? And she says, well, you're just special. And then he says, no, Mom, uh-uh. uh, we lost the ball today, and I found it. Well, you just got good eyes, boy. Mm, they're real good, Mom. I saw it right through the rock, <laughs> right through the big rock. There it was. And then she said, well, okay, guess we better tell you. And then she tells the story of uh, Pa Kent pulling him out, Eben. And Sarah Kent in the TV show pulling uh, the baby out of the rocket and then the rocket blowing up as if it was never there. And uh, (laughs) exactly. And uh, uh, she eventually made the costume out of the blankets that he was wrapped in. And it's all black and white, of course. So we have no idea. The first two seasons of the George Reeve show, the adventures are uh, were filmed in black and white. Mm. And then to color. They were never originally aired in color, but seasons three, four, five, and six were filmed in color and only shown in color in the 60s when they went into reruns and syndication. But in original air, when they originally aired first run, they were never broadcast in color. So that's a nice little piece of trivia. Yeah, interesting. Um, Yeah, but but they showed um, kind of a... Flash Gordon type of of Krypton. Um, it kind of looked futuristic, but not really. It, uh, but it did look unearthly, 
and then they would use torches and marble and they all had um, uh, uh, Flash Gordon type costumes on. Uh, in fact, they're not just type costumes. They were costumes actually used in the Flash Gordon serial huh. of the time. Oh, OK. So if, if you ever go and look up the 1940, I think it was 48, might be 49, Flash Gordon serials from 1948 or 49, when they pan around the room at the Science Council and all of them making fun of Jor-El, all of their costumes are from that movie. One of the bad guys is even wearing Flash Gordon's costume. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Uh, but Jor-El is great. He, he's really good. Uh, he's serious. The explosion for a kid um, is very traumatic. And in my in my own personal you know, uh, uh, headcanon of this Krypton story. I think that's just one of the most traumatic things any parent can do. If you literally think about it, I mean, really think about it, particularly if you look at both of these two parents, Jor-El and Lara. Jor-El, the logical scientist, his first thought is, I should have, uh, in the Silver Age, I should have been better prepared. I should have built not just this test rocket. I should have built one large enough to carry all of us off the planet. This was really stupid. Why did I wait? Then he turns to his wife and says, Laura, there's still there's room for you. You can make it there. It's actually Laura in most of the iterations in the Silver Age that says, no, if anyone is to survive, it should be our son. And she's the one that wraps him in the blankets and puts him in the in the rocket. And to me, that right there, that moment when she is totally convinced that her husband is accurate, is is right. Our planet is doomed. And at any second, this whole planet's going down. But I'm going to put my baby, my baby in this rocket ship and send it into outer space, hoping it will find another planet and have a better life to live. None of this Richard Donner. And I love the movie. Don't get me wrong. I love Superman, the movie. Okay. Love, love, love that movie, but I'm getting ready to tear out a new one here. Uh, (laughs) Okay. They are aliens on a different planet light years away from us. Okay, I like it if somebody sitting in the audience looks at this mother tortured, these parents tortured, putting their only child in a rocket to send it off in hopes that it will have a better life. And then the planet explodes and we're just in practically in tears. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. How did Donner do that? He has Brando going into Earth Christian New Testament language. I give them you, my only begotten son, so that you may show them the light. No, he did not give his son to earth to show us diddly squat. He gave his son to earth so that his son would have the best chance of surviving here. It had nothing to do with show them the way, be the leader, build a new Krypton, blam, blam, blam. None of that. None of that. And thank you, Donner, 
because now a guy sitting in the audience can't just go, wow, that's a lot like the Moses story from the Bible. Now he has to go, wow, that's Jesus and the Moses story taken directly from the Bible. No, this is a man, not a God. Jor-El was not God. He was a scientist hoping to have a better life for his son that he realized he waited too long. That was a test rocket. It should have been larger. He thought the council would believe him when he showed them the data. At that point, I can even veer, veer off from the original if Jor-El shows them the data. In the original Silver Age, they made fun of him. They didn't believe him. Okay, I'll go a step further in the modern. I will say Jor-El presents the data. But the Science Council understands. They know, yes, Jor-El, but we cannot panic. There's nothing. We don't have time now. There's nothing we can do, so we're not going to panic people, and we don't have time to build rockets, so go back and never say another word. Okay, fine. That I can understand, and then he makes the decision, well, at least I can I can save my wife or my child in the test rocket. But according to the Donner movie, the way it's set up and the way it looks, his whole plan was to put the baby in the rocket. That's a rocket made for the baby. It's not a test rocket. He never says test rocket. And he goes into this whole spiel about the religious aspects. And then that gets picked up in the uh, comics later. And then now it gets picked up in practically everything it did. That's why I liked Man of Steel Krypton, which brings us back to the show, because it's going to be written apparently by the guys who designed the Man of Steel Krypton. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the closest we've gotten to a Silver Age uh, flying yeah. creatures that Jor-El rides on their back for crying out loud. In the middle of this, you know, super high tech, they also have flying dragons. Cool. OK. OK. And so they're, they I think the man a great mix of the sterile. No, they don't have intercourse. They don't. Uh, you know, that's they don't breed organically. And, you know, so they have a little bit of the caste system from the real modern stuff, a little bit of the uh, coldness of the uh, of the burn era. But then they've also got this wonderful life that's going on of science and technology and right. alien life, totally alien life on that planet. And it's all dying. All of it is dying, and we can see that it's dying. And they bring in the fact that Kal-El was not a matrix, was not a goo to be gestated while he's on his way to Earth so that he can be born in Kansas, so just in case we can be president someday. Oh, baloney, go back home, John Byrne, and quit doing that. That's ridiculous. He is an alien from the planet Krypton, born on a foreign planet, an alien planet, whose parents sent him here so he could survive. The fact that he does do and take these powers, and then you can say, well, luckily the Kents found him and not, you know, somebody else, which... Yeah, but and and that story has been done. Uh, one of my favorite from the Silver Age is that the rocket was duplicated on the way here. It, it hits a the rocket on the way here bumps into another ship out there in space, 
that ship got all ticked off at him at the rocket. Right. So it shoots a beam at the rocket and turns the rocket into two. So now we have two baby Kal-El's in two different rockets, both coming to Earth. One of them lands on the farm near the Kents, and the Kents find it. The other rocket lands just outside of uh, right. Metropolis, where a couple of criminals find it. Mm. You know, think uh, Bonnie and Clyde, right? Mm. They find it and raise the kid to be the ultimate criminal. And he wears a little black domino mask. It's very funny. But it's one of my favorite stories of all time. And it's it does that whole nature versus nurture. How important were the Kents to the growing up of Clark Kent? Right. You know, so I think you have sure. to take all of that into into account. Uh, uh, you know, my friend Andy Leyland of Hey Kids Comics will say there's only one purpose for Krypton, and that's to blow up. He couldn't care less, could not give a boo-doo-doo about what happens on Krypton with Jor-El and Lara before he's born, before Kal-El is born. Yeah, definitely don't care about the grandparents. What does that got to do with Superman? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some of us, though, are very anxious to see what they do with this. Are they going to give us a real science fiction show based on Krypton with a little bit of Superman mythos thrown in uh, or not? What are they going to give us? Because, I mean, you know, here's a factual comment that I've not looked it up. It's one of these things where it may not be a fact, but I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Every prequel screws up timelines. Every single one of them. I have yeah. never seen a prequel to anything that keeps continuity uh, like it's supposed to, whether it's Star Wars, Star Trek, Superman. It doesn't matter if you have all of this stuff going on over here and then you say, hey, let's go back and do a prequel before all that stuff started. Well, you're going to run into problems and they ran into problems in the Silver Age with the Superboy comics. But continuity wasn't that big a deal then. And they would say, well, what do you mean Superboy doesn't No, Okay, we want him to meet Lois. Well, in every iteration of Superboy or Superman, if he's a young boy, he has met Lois Lane in previous way. Okay, so anybody who says, no, he doesn't meet until he catches her in a helicopter. Well, no, Superboy met her and then Smallville met her. And, you know, it won't surprise me if on Krypton, uh, Kal-El's grandfather somehow meets Lois Lane. <laughs> it, it, it will happen. It's, well, I, I don't know how much you've heard about Krypton. Not much, other than that Goyer, uh, not Goyer, um, um, drawing a blank on his name, the guy who wrote uh, right, uh, the first Man of Steel screenplay. And you say Goyer, that's what I'm thinking of. And I've, now. I've drawn a blank on his I, name. I know that's not it. Yeah, I know. And I, but but he he had a lot to do with the the original Krypton uh, pilot, and that's all I know. And I I really don't know if they've uh, kept that crew, if they're going to continue it as the prequel of the Man of Steel that we're seeing of Chris of Chris of Henry Cavill now. Is that? Um, See, is I've that heard, where Krypton is going to be the TV I've heard show? Different stories from is different it a prequel to the movie? The, movie or the show? Some I heard say that yes, it's supposed to be a, a prequel mm-hmm. to Man of Steel, and others I've heard say no, it's nothing. It, it's not really tied into the movie. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. And again, originally Krypton was supposed to be, as you said, to talk about uh, Kal El's grandfather on Krypton years before Krypton exploded, and give you a little bit of Krypton's life and. 
the problems they had on Krypton. At Comic-Con, they made an announcement, and apparently right. now it's going to involve time travel, and apparently Adam Strange and Hot Girl are going to be traveling into the past to try to stop mm. uh, who is a brainiac, and somebody else is supposed to go into the Krypton's past to try to stop Superman from becoming Superman or something mm-hmm. to that effect. So it's supposed to have some time travel element in it, so mm. I could very well see Lois popping up and meeting <laughs> Superman's grandfather at that point. <laughs> yes, I can I can see it. So Brainiac's gonna be part of it. Hmm, interesting. I hope they don't I hope they don't do the uh as much as I like the Superman the animated series from the right. uh was it late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Um uh I didn't like the way they handled Brainiac. Uh, Brainiac should be independent, different, total from Krypton. He shouldn't be the internet of Krypton that goes rogue. And I was going to I was going to ask you that, Bob. What was your thought on that version of Krypton and from the Uh, animated series? It was okay. It was okay because they tried to take little pieces of of all of them. But that was my biggest disappointment was Brainiac, the way they used Brainiac. Brainiac should be a dark side level, scary as hell, just planet destroying threat that can defeat Superman. And so many times in the past, they've used him kind of as a green computer version of Lex Luthor. They haven't really, Mm -hmm. you know, expanded on him like they should. Uh, It's actually the the Jeff Johns Brainiac story is what got me back Mm -hmm. into comics after being out for a few years. Uh, And uh, that's my next episode that will drop, actually, will be a Brainiac episode. Because to me, he's one of my favorite Superman villains, and I just think he just is underused or used improperly so many times. And I think that was the biggest misstep of the animated series, because I kind of liked their Krypton, because they had a little bit of the Silver Age in it, but still too much, I think, of the burn look and feel. But uh, I, I like a warm, living planet that's full of life and that you're sorry to see go, that's full of alien wonders and a utopia. You can give it political intrigue and other things, but overall, uh, Krypton should be a place that you're sad to see go, um, in my own mind. Again, I have friends who think they don't care. It doesn't matter. It has really one purpose, and that's to blow up so we can get Superman. If we don't have Superman, I don't really care, and I've heard people say that. And so I think that will be a real interesting thing about Krypton is how they do it. Uh, they're going to have to overcome some of the same kinds of things that Smallville had to overcome. And some of the stuff right now that, for example, Gotham is having to overcome in that, yeah, it's about Gotham and there's all the guys. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not my Gotham. It's not bad. It's not supposed to happen like that, <laughs> you know? And I think uh, uh, for some reason I'm loving Gotham because it's it's kind of like they said, okay, we got this, we got the playground, we got the sandbox, and I put all the guys in it. Now go play with them and make up your own story. And for some reason I'm enjoying that. And I think if they do that with Krypton, here's all the guys, and if they let us know, let us know this is an Elseworld. This may or may not be leading to. Uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman or the uh, the Henry Cavill Superman or even or even the comic book George Reeves or whatever Superman, you know, yeah. let us know up front. And I think we'll know 
pretty quickly by the second, third or fourth episode. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're going to know uh, what their angle is. Is it a good science fiction show that happens to take place on Krypton with guys that we know, but we don't know because not many people, there were some silver age stories that went in to uh, Kal-El's past and, and mentioned his uh, grandfather and his uncles and, you know, the L family was, uh, according to the Silver Age, was very important. You know, I mentioned earlier about we're amazed how many things floated from Krypton and survived and ended up on Earth. At one time, part of the L family mausoleum or crypt or whatever made it close to Earth, but it was all green kryptonite. But there were like statues, and it was Jor-El, creator of the Phantom Zone and a couple of other things he invented, and then his grandfather – and then his uncles and his great grandfather and all the things. One was a ship guy that invented the first map thing. And one was a <laughs> telescope guy. And I mean, take Galileo and Plato and all of the famous earth people and make them an L. And that's Kal-El's right. family history. Right. And so, you know, that obviously screwed up a lot of stuff, but it was the silver age. It was 1959, 1960. You just read that one story and went, oh, that was cool. And you went on to the next story. It, it, it wasn't like, oh, wait a minute. Last issue, you said Camel was his uncle. Now you say it's Camel. What is it? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Could be. It's Kim Camel. But, uh, you know, so continuity wasn't a huge thing. And, and you know, I, I don't know. So, but anyway, the, the point is, will they do that? with with krypton will this just be here's all the guys here's all the stuff it's krypton and now the writers are going to write good science fiction stories based around it uh or is it just going to be a soap opera you know with uh sci-fi costumes on it could go either way i'm hoping for a real science fiction show because it's on the sci-fi channel and they should do science fiction (laughs) i think would hope so. Yeah. Yes, I would, I would think. I would think. But but yeah, I kind of like that. So I'm hoping to see a little bit of a since it's you know going to take place probably 20 years or so before Kal-El is born, unless they're doing it even further than that. And Jor-El is a little. Everything boy. I'm seeing is that it's supposed to take place 200 years before the birth of Kal-El. 200 years. Well, they must have really long lifespans. I heard another place. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a couple hundred years before <laughs> Kal-El is born. So I don't know. Well, so, so I don't think even Joe Ray. So how could it be his grandfather? Yeah, unless they have huge long lifespans up there of a couple of hundred and years. And that's what I'm wondering. Maybe on Krypton. And again, it's supposed to be scientifically advanced. So maybe they, they've overcome death except for, you know, accidents or murders, things like that. But yeah. Or maybe since they're bred test tubes and scientifically in cast they don't even create another being until another one goes it's not like they just procreate because they got married now let's have a kid they they don't do it so it's all planned and organized if they stick to the modern caste system that has been implemented i guess since war on krypton jeff johns i guess did that yeah wow that's been almost 10 years now wow Time flies. Yeah, pretty Time. much. Yeah, what I'm seeing, yeah. I guess, what's his name? Segel is supposed to be in his 20s. Okay. In this time, so. 
Interesting. So there will not be a Jor-El. He's not married yet. Loki, I don't know if he's supposed to be married at this point. But the the show is basically about his grandfather, his young grandfather. Yeah, according to the Wikipedia, said, which they got from IGN, it says, Crypto follows Superman's right. grandfather, Segel, whose family, the House of El, has been ostracized and shamed. Segel fights to redeem his family's honor and save his beloved world from chaos. Mm-hmm. And then, like, at Comic-Con, I believe it was, they announced that it's going to involve... Uh, Brainiac, it was Doomsday, going back in time, and they're going to be followed, I guess, by Adam Strange and Hot Girl to try and stop mm. them from their nefarious actions, if you will. Maybe maybe they're going back or to destroy it earlier on, even before yeah. Jor-El is born. Yeah. In in that time of, sounds yeah. like, turmoil. Or, yeah. again, I think we've gone to the Doomsday a little a little much. But I guess they're saying that Doomsday is a Kryptonian creation now, though. Isn't that yeah. where we're going? I, th- I think what I've heard is that Doomsday is is that it, there's so many variations there. Like they, it's a, it's a, a being or, or somebody, a Kryptonian that they keep experimenting on. They'll die, mm-hmm. so then they get to version two, version three, version, mm-hmm. you know. And just Yeah, that was the comic Doomsday, and then the Superman versus Batman version was they took Zod's body and made a mm-hmm. clone, if you will, and using using Lex Luthor's blood mixed with Zod's body in the goo, yes, in the Kryptonian <laughs> goo, gives yes. us another form of a Doomsday. And according to Wikipedia, Zack Snyder has confirmed that Doomsday mm. and details surrounding his mythical origins. Will be explored further than just mm. like films. Just as the films, plural. That's funny. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so well, I heard originally that the Just League was supposed to be a two-parter. Yeah. Like I heard originally, the uh, next Avengers movie is going to be a two-parter. Mm. So that's kind of changed. So who knows? We have. What they're yeah, doing. I don't know. Sometimes I'm thinking, man, the bubble's getting thin. This thing's going to pop any second now. You know, it's going to be one day where one of these billion dollar blockbuster movies comes out and just nobody goes. They just say, you know, no, I'll wait. I'll wait. So I don't know. I'm actually now uh, on the Marvel is rental and DC is in the theater. Uh, I didn't go see the Spider-Man Homecoming. No. Mm. yeah, I know. I know. I, I it's weird. I don't know. I'm a DC guy anyway, but right. But Same yeah, here. but up to up to this year, I at least had been going to see all of them. You know, Civil War and the Avengers, and I'd been going to see the Marvel or DC. This year, though, I just said, you know, I think I'm going to wait on that. I think I'm going to wait on that, and uh, only went to see Wonder Woman and. Um, what was the latest one? Doctor Strange. Did see Doctor Strange. Or Guardians. The most the Guardian. Guardians. Galaxy Two. I didn't see Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Actually, I. Uh, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, either. I decided to, that'll be a rental of some kind. Uh, but what was out last month? What was something new? I'm trying to think. Thor comes out next month. I mean, do we have a luff riches that we can't even think what was the big yeah, blockbuster I mean, movie last month? <laughs> Was there a movie last month? Something. If so, I missed something it. Something between... Oh, you know, Inhumans, are you talking about, maybe? That's TV. I've, I've given up on the... Well, they're the, well they had, they had the, the pilot episode out as a movie, yeah. in quotes. 
Yeah. That came out. I didn't go see that last theater. month. Uh, oh, 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 Blade Runner was the, that had nothing to do with, oh, okay. yeah, I went to see Blade Runner. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's worth seeing actually. Uh, That's what I hear. yeah, it's, it's a good sci-fi movie. It's, it's not a big, you know, explosion shoot 'em up, but it's, it's a good sci-fi movie and it, and it does, does justice to the original, which I thought they would screw up, but. And that's one thing I was afraid of nowadays. We're gonna, I figured they were going to try to make it more explosion. No, it really wasn't. They 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 kept you. Uh, it's it's a thoughtful. Yeah, and Harrison Ford is really good. He's really good. So uh, I, it's it's worth it's worth seeing. It's really worth seeing. And hardly anybody is there. Nobody is. You've got the theater to yourself practically. If it's still out, <laughs> it's really amazing. So what the first one did. Nobody went to see the first one either. My wife and I were dating at the time, and we're there in this like empty theater and going, "Wow, this is great! Why is there nobody here? <laughs> Everybody should be watching this thing. This is great." Well, I don't know. Movies, who knows? Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, that's where I am. So I'm hoping that Krypton. See how I bring this right back right to Krypton. Back. Yep. I was say, but but <laughs> I am back. hoping. That's why you're the master. I'm really hoping for a really good Krypton. Science fiction show, and I don't even. I, I'm going to have to figure out some creative way of watching this because I don't have regular cable anymore. So we we cut our cable, right. so we don't get the Sci-Fi Channel. So well, there, there's there's there ways are ways. If you, if you need if you need help, let me uh, know. Thank you, Facebook man. Let me. Know. <laughs> I appreciate. <laughs> I can I can point you in a yeah. direction or two. Hopefully, there there <laughs> are some creative ways to watch uh, television nowadays. So, uh, as far as you yeah, have Brainiac, I agree. I hope they, they remove, cause that's one, like you, I, I didn't, I liked the, uh, Superman cartoon, mm-hmm. but yeah, that really bothered me that they tied Brainiac so much to Krypton. Yeah, yeah, I think that really right. takes away from him, uh, and it takes away from him being this really, um, scary. I think Brainiac could be the, the, the biggest, scariest baddie of them all. And I think that's what I liked about, the Jeff Johns. I don't know if you guys read the Jeff Johns Brainiac storyline. Came yeah, and, yeah, I read. And they they did an animated version of it called uh, Unbound, Superman Unbound. I got that one, but I don't think I've actually. Oh, sit down it and yet. watch it's that. If you haven't watched it, do. yeah. If you haven't watched it, it's worth watching. I bought it and then I got it on my phone. I got it on a uh, one of those online streaming things, either Voodoo or. Uh, Flickster, I've got it on there also. Yeah, I think I put mine on Flickster <laughs> too. Sitting down. But I went ahead and bought the I went it. ahead and bought the DVD or the Blu-ray of it. Um, uh, I was impulse. I was at Walmart or something and went, whoa, there it is, fifteen bucks. I'll take that or whatever it was, nine dollars. <laughs> so, um, but I enjoyed the comic and it was what kind of got me back reading modern comics again because I went into you know it was one of those afternoons. Uh, my wife went into the drugstore and I said, well, comic shop is only a block away. I'll, sweetie, I'm going to walk down. I'll be right down. Yeah. Yeah. I know where you'll be. Okay. I'll be right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I hadn't been in there in you know, over a year and I'm looking around. I said, what's new? And she said, Oh, Hey, Superman. You haven't been in a while. They called me Superman. It's just kind of cool for an old guy to be called Superman. But anyway, I just wore too many subs, you know, because I defended him. I was the guy buying Superman when nobody else was. So they knew me. Oh, here comes the only guy buying Superman comic books. But uh, 
<laughs> so I, I'm just standing there and, you know, looking at the new comics and still was not quite sure. I don't know. I don't know. But they were doing some Alex Ross covers and whatever. So I said, what's going on? And she said, you know, you might like this. And the trade <laughs> for um, the Brainiac story had just come out that week. So, you know, oh, okay. so I went ahead and bought it, came home, read it and went, whoa, if this is what current Superman comics are, this isn't bad. So I got my subscriptions going again, got everything going, and then they started grounded, and then they started New 52, and I thought, oh, great. What a perfect time to jump great. on. Great. Grounded was a great story. Superman not using his powers. Yeah. I, that was a fantastic story. Superman I recognized, but, but although I loved, I loved the Grant Morrison run. Uh, in action, the opening to the New 52 Grant Morrison, I think he laid down right. a – as good as can be done for a modern version of the golden age Superman who is just starting and not Superboy. Uh, I think Grant Morrison knows Superman so well, knows how to write him so well, and he was able to tap into those things and bring back a living, vibrant Krypton that we were sad to see leave. We saw a baby being rocketed from the planet, not a matrix. We saw the mother in charge and strong woman knowing what's going on. We saw Jor-El being the brilliant scientist. We saw so much of a great, great Krypton right up to the moment that the damn thing exploded. And you felt something for that. Uh, I, I thought that was a great groundwork. I thought, oh, hey, all right, New 52. If you're not going to give me back my Superman – and we're not going to get Superboy in the Legion. This still isn't bad. And they did uh, uh, the annual that came out with uh, the story in it, The Boy Who Stole Superman's Cape. One of the finest Superman stories I've read in years. Absolutely tear jerky. Just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And then all those great Sholly Fish backup stories in action incredible now on superman they were screwing it up left and right well from what i understand part of the problem was that uh, grant was playing it so close to the best with what he was doing that right the superman he was that's girl okay well here it writes about superman but all this stuff's going on five years in the past or whatever but you don't really need to know about that yes and that made it a little hard on him but as i said that, that i enjoyed morrison's run on action that was my only beginning quotes problem with it was the the fact that there wasn't a lot of communication going on between the two. Well, uh, you know, I blame that on the editor. I blame all of these original problems with the Superman title that we didn't see in Batman. We didn't see it in Green Lantern. We didn't see it in some of the other new titles they brought in. Superman, we had the problem, and I blame it right on the editor. It's his job to do this, to edit, organize, and direct, especially yes. when they're doing a whole new theme this isn't just okay we're making a few changes within the story we're starting over ground zero new characters which means they had to change everything to get because of jeff john's continuing stories in um uh, green lantern and uh snyder's stories over in batman they didn't want to screw yeah. those up and they should have they should have they should have said okay we'll let you either finish that before we start the new 52 over or wrap it up guys 
We're doing a right. we're doing a company wide reboot, and Batman and Green Lantern. Last time I checked, are part of the company. So and that's that was my biggest complaint about the new Fifty Two. Yeah. The same problem again. I started reading comics for real after the crisis, but that was my problem with the crisis. Mm-hmm. All these these major things. We're going to shake things up. We're going to re you know restart everything. Well, except for this title here, maybe this title here. <laughs> right. I say crypt, uh, Crisis, they rebooted everything, kind of, in bits and pieces. Well, here comes Superman a little bit later. Here comes Batman, sort of. Right. Uh, let's do Wonder Woman, but let's, let's set Wonder Woman in the present instead of the past. Let's set Hawkman in the present instead, you know. And then they have the new 52. You think, well, hey, right. they had this back in 85. They've learned their lesson. They know they can restart everything and everything will be good. No. no, they didn't. Oh, Batman's selling good. Green Lantern's selling good. Let's not restart the. Well, okay, we're going to restart them, but not really. Everything still kind of happened, but seriously, come on, guys. Yeah, exactly. That- <laughs> you know, but there's also the thing, you know, when we were kids, well, when I was, uh, not only did was there no, like, continuity within each title, uh, the January issue may not have a damn thing to do with the February or March issue. It was just, you're going to have three Superman stories that may or may not have anything to do with each other. And they may actually even contradict each other, but they're three Superman stories, start, middle, finish. Good. Yay. Move on to the next one. Not one year or two years to tell one story at three bucks per chapter. That's, that's, uh, that's an expensive. Yeah, another yeah that's another whole uh, <laughs> bailiwick, so to speak. But 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 those things are the kinds of stuff that not only was there no continuity in the title itself, there was no no company wide continuity. You know, right. a Justice League story meant all these guys all got together over here and had this adventure, and it had nothing to do with whatever they were all doing in their individual stories. That's why I see a lot of young people who will pick up a Justice League story or try to do a read through, you know, where they where they get a whole bunch of Justice Leagues. Let's say they're going to do a read through of 1967 and they get right. all their Superman stories and the Batman and they, they well, wait a minute. How can Superman and Batman be in this Justice League story <laughs> if Superman's over here without his powers fighting Luther on this planet and Batman is it doesn't work and you get and they're getting all bent out of shape about something that was written 50 years ago by a guy who had to turn in three stories that week and really didn't care if they connected to anything or not he needed a paycheck so and it was for kids you know yeah it it, right. it was disposable entertainment written for kids none of those guys in the 50s and 60s thought you know 50 and 60 years from now, a bunch of guys are going to be sitting around tearing this stuff apart and critically analyzing this stuff. It never occurred to them. They knew that four years from the time I write this story, a whole new batch of kids are going to be reading. I can have Kurt Swan draw it instead of Wayne Boring and put out the exact same story and nobody will know. Well, we do know because we kept reading the comics into our teen years and into college <laughs> and into adulthood. And now we're talking about them 50 years later. But it's fun. <laughs> oh, well, so I'm a big continuity nut myself. I enjoy the continuity. Mm-hmm. But, I again, reading these older stories from, say, the 50s and 60s, I realize, like you said, back then, they, didn't, they were just, all they were worried about was getting that issue That's out. It. 
and not warn about what happened with Superman over in Batman over in the Justice League. Or no, this. they so, wanted that story to be entertaining, right? And, and I can I can separate my mind when I'm reading those and realize, well, this is a different time. Continuity is not going to happen. But if I had my druthers, I I would like to see continuity in a comic because that's just how my mind well, works. Right. And but. and your generation <laughs> and and a lot of my comic friends are much younger than me. And they grew up in a world of continuity. Uh, and sure. if you came into Superman after the burn era, particularly if your Superman was the, the death and return Superman, sure. that was nothing but continuity. I yeah. mean, Triangular. that was a that was a situation where uh, I'm not sure we'll ever see that kind of a, a thing ever happen again. I don't know that you can organize and get everybody on the same page like Mike Carlin had all those guys doing at that time. And I give Mike Carlin a lot of credit, but I also give all of those other guys from Tom Grummet to Dan Jurgens. I mean, you go right down the list, Ordway. Oh, yeah. Every one of those guys realized, you know, once they couldn't do the story they wanted to do because the TV show, you know, they were they were on their way to getting uh, Clark and Lois hitched. And right. the TV show said, no, you can't because we're going to do it and you can't do it before us. And every year at the little meetings that they would have, one of the guys would chime up and say, well, let's kill him off. And they'd all have a big laugh and then they'd go on about other story. This time <laughs> when somebody said it, Mike Carlin said, how do we do it? And wait, wait, what? yeah, and then they started with the whole uh, idea. And once that ball started rolling and they realized, oh, my God, we're really going to do this. Then they had to realize, well, killing him was easy. Now we got to bring him back. How are we going to do that? So <laughs> I, you got to give those guys tons of credit because for that time period, that was a fun read in the middle of all this other crap that was going on in the 90s. Yeah, we had a Superman title, four titles, five actually. Yeah, for a while, yeah, it was hitting on all cylinders, and one a new one coming out every week. It was like every week we're getting a new chapter to this incredible story that was well thought out, well delivered. They knew what they were doing. I mean, right down to the fact of the Doomsday story, starting with nine page. Nine panel pages ending with one panel pages in a whole book. It was great how that worked out. It was so brilliant. So brilliant. So I know I catch, you know, I give the 90s and I give the post-burn era a lot of crap. But sometimes they did it right. And once you get past all the overthinking that John Byrne did, they wrote some really good Superman stories. And John Byrne yeah. is a good artist. I still like his Superman artwork, but way better than his storytelling. Uh, but, you know, but again, bringing you back to Krypton, that's the area that even after that original John Byrne miniseries, as they then went back and started telling World of Krypton stories, we started seeing, I almost said we started seeing a little more humanity in there. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying? We saw more of right. a planet that okay well that's not bad and then john Byrne didn't write them so yay (laughs) (laughs) but but anyway that's 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 really my kind of take on it i love the krypton 
that we're sad to see blow up and that we know has to blow up and a Jor-El and Laura that are making the ultimate sacrifice of sending their child off to a strange planet in hopes that it has a better life. Hope is the key. They almost get it right. Almost get it right. The hope was Jor-El and Lara hoping their son would have a better life here and live. They weren't sending him here to show us the hope. That was just a nice coincidence that he does turn out to be uh, something we all aspire to be and look up to be. But it wasn't Jor-El's plan for him to show us diddly. It was for him to survive. Right. Uh, Just for some delay. Exactly. <laughs> to me, that is the heartbreaking story. That's the emotional part of this. And to be honest, I think if this show, Krypton, goes on for five years or more, it could do a lot worse than to end with the emotional, almost the Man of Steel Krypton. Uh, to me, that was done so well where Laura had to actually then, because obviously the fight, which spoilers, Jarrell didn't live. Um, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> but, but then that scene after the rocket goes off and the planet is starting to explode and Telex, Helix, Kalex, the, uh, Lara's robot floating robot right. is telling her, madam, you, you should, <laughs> which is funny. You should come inside. Why? The planet is a foul. <laughs> Not going to help. <laughs> so she's kind of walking into it. And arms open and accepting it. And her last words are something about her husband being right. And uh, it's so emotional. And I think they hit exactly the kind of feelings you want for this. These are thoughtful, caring, emotional creatures who have just sent their only child off in hopes of a better life. And when you compare that to burn sending a matrix goo glob or even Donner's Jor-El of Marlon Brando spouting, you know, doctrine from the literally from the new Testament. The, you know, I have a real problem with that. I have a, a, a real problem with, with uh, uh, portraying Jor-El as some sort of a God figure, which makes then Kal-El and it muddies the whole original story. If, Jerry Siegel was taking the original story from scripture at all. It didn't come from the new Testament. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> it was the Moses story, but it, I don't even think he was that literal. I don't think he thought, wow, Moses, that's it. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think yeah. so. And that's what I like about it is that it is a subtle thing. So that if then someone in the audience thinks because they're religious and they think, wow, that's just like the Moses story. Well, good for you. But for the actor on screen to spout earth scripture takes me right out of it, right out of it. And that's a problem a lot with a lot of writers nowadays is that I think they may be underestimating the intelligence of fans and if they want to, instead of doing, like I said, subtly and, you know, some clues here and there, or whatever, instead of doing it subtly, they, they lay it all out and, no, no, look, it's a Christ like a, you know, it's, it's this, it's this. Right. Look at it. Right. Even instead of giving in, us some in, subtle in clues. Christ like poses and lights yes. behind him and stained glass and, 
even the choir is practically singing, you know, oh, <laughs> no, come on. He's a he's a man. Yes, he's a super man, but he's a man. You take him out of a yellow sun. He's no longer godlike. So, you know, let's let's just like us. And I think it diminishes him and us uh, hitting on this whole God thing all the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're they're touching on some of the things, because in the Silver Age, we totally accepted uh, uh, Superman as being the good guy. He never gave us any reason not to. But I understand why in modern age, modern society, where you would want to, uh, where a certain portion of the population may distrust um, um, alien, immigrants, whatever, people who not like them. I can understand that some will not. I don't think, I think they've gone too far with it. I don't think that half of the population would scorn uh, and in the new movies, it's kind of like that's what's happening. Half of the population hates him and distrusts him. And the other half wants him to be some sort of a god instead of right. what he is. You know, uh, a, a guy who grew up in Kansas who happens to have really great superpowers, who wants to do the right thing. You know, get back to the basics. And it makes him even more impressive when you take away and strip away all the Jesus and the God stuff from him, it makes him even a more powerful creature that uh, with all of this power, he chooses to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And then we can discuss whether he gets that through his DNA or through uh, the tutelage of Martha and Jonathan, you know, Early on, it was Superman is the real guy. Clark Kent is the disguise. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was until really, uh, I guess, until Lois and Clark and John Byrne. When you get into the mid 80s, they both said, mm, no, Clark's the real guy, the Kansas guy. Uh, he puts on a costume. And then, of course, Lois and Clark put it in a sentence that now everybody will repeat. Uh, Clark Kent is who I am. Superman is what I can do. Yeah. See, the way I look, the way I look at it myself is that neither and me and my my twenty uh, three year old sons had this conversation not too, not too long ago. To me, neither Superman nor Clark is the real person. Mm-hmm. To me, the the real the real person is the guy that's hanging out in his apartment, hanging off Lois when they're married, or on the farm in Smallville. You know, if he needs to fly over, somebody does. Right. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Clark is who he pets on for the, the public so they don't know he's Superman. And Superman is uh, the big costume, the big, you know, I'm here to save the day. Right. And he can't be himself and show a weakness as Superman. And as Clark, he can't show how any of his real power. Right. So. I, th- I think that's I think that's a really good, um, 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 you know, explanation, a good a good place to be. And that's how sometimes I will actually explain that the real guy is the guy sitting around the kitchen table with Ma and Pa Kent or the guy, you know, with Lois alone in the apartment. The guy in the Daily Planet, Clark Kent, that's an act. That's a put on. That's a disguise. More so even than Superman, because when he's Superman, he doesn't really have to hide who he is. He's not pretending to be something he's not. And I don't care how where he is, if he's Clark Kent, 
He is pretending to be something he's not, except in those moments when he's literally with people who know exactly and have known him who he is. And I think in Rebirth, they're they're doing a fairly decent job of that um, in the comics, showing us that, Uh, you know, I have to be a little careful because sometimes they're doing the three person thing too: the Superman, the Clark that knows Lois and family members. And then the bumbly guy. And I'm right. not a big fan of the bumbly guy, <laughs> but uh, uh, no offense to Chris Reeve. He did it really well. But I like the I like the Clark Kent he did in Superman three and four better than Superman one and two because he seemed like a normal guy, not not a, a almost a clown, almost a, a, a buffoon, you know, although those right. were great moves, uh, catching his coat in the door and. Uh, you know, all of those little things he did in the first movie, those are really terrific little moves, little comic bits. And I'm yeah. not taking them away from him. He did that really, really well. But my Clark Kent is closer to the George Reeves Clark Kent. And to some degree, the, the, the Dean Cain uh, Clark Kent. That's the real guy. Right. Uh, I didn't like Dean Cain's Superman, but uh, I thought his Clark Kent was okay. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a- Different show, but I've got the same opinion about Batman. Neither Bruce Wayne nor Batman is the real person. It's Bat, the real person is the guy that sits in the Batcave and, you know, Alfred comes down. Right. And, the guy studying <laughs> books and, and uh, computer screens, and that's right. the real guy. I think right. the, the human persona and the superhero persona are both just that persona he bets on. Right. So we can have separate, you know, and they're both the same. They're different, but they're the same. You know, they both have... These different personas, so they can interact with different people different so ways. You, so you're saying your Batman is him in the suit, but with the cowl just hanging like a hood hanging down. That, or maybe the suit's hanging up, he's hanging mm-hmm. on the back uh-huh. cave, and he's not, because, or he's hanging on, maybe hanging out in the mansion, and, you know, no one's over bothering him, except for maybe the, the kids, <laughs> you know, Tim, and <laughs> all of them's hanging out. But, yeah, when he's out on the town, you know, whining, dining people, you know, he show a supermodel hanging off each arm. You know, that's an act just to throw people off. I used to love that in the Silver Age when they would do that uh, in the comics to have him in his costume, but his cowl flip back behind yeah. him. You know, on it. Yeah, nice I always like that, particularly when Kurt Swan or Dick Sprang drew him. I I, I love oh. those. Those are really fun because yeah. you could almost feel it. You could you could it seemed real for some reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think when it comes to Batman. Um, Bruce Wayne is a way bigger disguise than even Clark Kent is. You know, yes. I, I think he's Batman so. is closer to being the real guy, you know, than yeah. than Bruce Wayne is. Bruce Wayne is a total put on from start to finish. Yeah. You know, yeah, a total put on, whether it's Silver Age Playboy to. Um, yeah, all of that. And I think he, and Tim Burton tapped into that. I think Tim Burton and Michael Keane's. Keaton's Batman did a pretty good job of distinguishing between the two. So yeah. uh, uh, we've been pretty lucky as as DC fans over the years. We've had some good along with the bad. Yeah. We've had some good that really, uh, if not the whole movie or the whole storyline, we get enough of it that we that we say, OK, you got me. That's right. I'll back. I'm back. He's my guy. <laughs> you know? so. Yeah. Well, moving back to Superman, since that's what this show's about, and back let's go back to Christopher Reeve. 
I, one thing that really bothers me is when people complain about the, the glasses disguise. Like, well, if you, you know, a real reporter, a real cop or someone should know who that really is. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't fool anybody. That's part of the conceit. And also to me, Chris Free, I think it was in the first Superman movie, when he's about telling Lois who he is, you know, he, he pulls his glasses off right. and he, he stands a little taller. To me, I can actually see him undergoing a change. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To me, that's, that's what happens when he changes from Clark to Superman is he actually, you know, stands a little taller and a little straighter, mm-hmm. you know, just a different look on his face. So to me, I, I could buy that those are two different people. Absolutely. I think they did a great job. I'm glad they put that little scene in. They did it twice. Yes. They did it in the Superman 2 uh, up at Niagara Falls when he almost turned around and told her right. until he fell. Okay, yeah. But but in the first one, when he's waiting for her and he takes them all, that showed the audience why the glasses work. Because it's not yes. just the glasses. It's two entire entirely different separate personalities and personas and it's spelled out in the comics um of the silver age there's a thing where there's a great i don't know which issue and i'm sure it was repeated reprinted a dozen times in (laughs) in uh giants or the 80 page giants or the annuals or something but it was pa kent uh actually teaching clark when he decided to become superboy teaching him how to be Clark Kent, right down to huge life-size pictures on the wall, posters that Pa Kent had put up there to show him as Superboy, this is how you talk, this is how you stand, this is Superboy, you're taller, you're broader, you're bigger as Clark Kent, you're looking down, you're shyer, your shoulders are slumped a little more. You talk quieter, a little higher pitched voice. It's all spelled out so that if the two of them were standing right there, they're two different people. The only thing they have in common is they're white guys with black hair. (laughs) You know, I think the only people that you could possibly give a little grief to is maybe the Daily Planet. Uh, regulars, Lois, Lois, Perry, and Jimmy, who see both of them all the time. The average metropolis person, why would they have any idea who Superman is? If they just saw Clark Kent walking down the street in his suit and briefcase and hat, he's just like thousands of other men walking in suits and briefcases and glasses. There's no reason to think, oh, there's Superman because he's got black hair and without the glasses, he looks just like him. No, you wouldn't do that. But Lois, Jimmy, and Perry, who see both of them all the time, and a lot of times within a few seconds of each other, that gets a little bit, you know, um, hmm. So I have always in my head canon thought that uh, Lois knows but won't tell him. Perry knows, but can't tell him because it jeopardizes his position as editor of the newspaper. Jimmy thinks, but he doesn't want to blow his cool partnership pal situation with him. <laughs> so all of the main guys know, but they all have their own reasons for not, uh, you know, letting on so that they can play the game, too, and keep his secret <laughs> with him. Lois, because, well, she keeps thinking if I do that, then he's not going to want to marry me. So, right. you know, and that's the main goal. So, uh, anybody I really thought about that way? Yeah. Well, except for I thought about the Perry situation. I agree with that. Right. 
I never really felt the Lois and Jimmy situation. Actually, now that you lay it out that way, I can actually, I can actually agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and, and it makes kind of sense. And we saw a little bit of that in Smallville when, when, uh, Lois figures it out, you know, but she wasn't going to tell him that she knew. She's going to wait for him to tell her. And that's happened in the comics, too, at times in imaginary stories in the Silver Age or at other points where Lois figures it out by accident, sees him changing. Something happens where she figures it out but doesn't tell. And uh, God, I wish I could remember it right now, but it was a really great story. And so many people discount the Lois Lane comic book. And I think you have to just take a whole different attitude. Think of an I Love Lucy sitcom or Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> you know, don't think of Lois Lane, great reporter. It's a sitcom. And if you think of sitcom using the Superman family of characters, you're going to enjoy those stories a lot better than thinking, I want Lois Lane, investigative reporter. I don't want this. Well, you'll enjoy it better if you realize it's Lucy wanting to get on Ricky's next show. It's the same storyline that they did in the I Love Lucy. You guys probably didn't watch I Love Lucy. But, uh, yeah, uh, no, we're in reruns, of course. Okay. Yeah, I, I, but you know how Lucy, love, Lucy always wanted, you know, her husband was a, a cabana singer, a big star. She always wanted to be part of his show, whether he was going to be on a TV show or sing at the nightclub or be in a movie. Her scam was, how can I get into Ricky's show? Uh, Lois's scam is how can I either get Superman to marry me or figure out a secret identity? That's it. Look at those comics, the Lois Lane comics, going to have usually three stories in them. One of them is going to be about her figuring out a secret identity. One of them is trying to trick him into marrying her. But one of them might be a very serious investigative reporter story where she gets into trouble and Clark saves her and she thinks that she made it without Superman's help. Yay! So take a little different attitude with those, and you'll enjoy those stories a whole lot better. But I, I, I think that that is, it is, in my own head, how I've always looked at it, that if these people actually knew he's Clark Kent, they couldn't let him know because it screws everything up. And they right. know it screws everything up. So uh, Lois is going to wait for him to reveal himself and legitimately ask her to marry him. And uh, which eventually he does. And now they have John. And he's the only one that I allow to have the name Superboy legally. (laughs) (laughs) Clone boy, maybe. No, he can't be Superboy. He's clone boy. (laughs) Not Superboy. (laughs) Crying out loud. Can't fool me. That's not Superboy. That's not Superboy. That's clone boy. Although Tom Grummet, great artist, great great artist. I enjoyed that Superman, that Superboy. Uh, I, I enjoyed parts of it. The There's part. one of my favorite scenes because he was kind of a wise ass. One of my favorite right. uh, scenes of Superboy. Lois is all you know uh, uh, still messed up because Superman is dead, and now we've got these four imposters coming back. One of which is the Clone Boy. In his in his red <laughs> pants and leather jacket, but he does a great scene. There's a I laughed out loud, and today I'd like to find it. I don't know which issue it's in, but Superboy sits on Lois's desk and he puts a pair of sunglasses on, then holds his pulls his hair back 
like he's slicking it back like Clark Kent. Right. And he goes, hey, cutie, remind you of anybody? <laughs> and I'll laugh right out loud. And oh, my yeah. God. And since, and since Tom Grummet drew it, it almost looks like a 90s version of uh, a Kurt Swan drawing. Uh, Grummet actually got the face. He cared about what the faces look like, you know. Oh, yeah, that's Superman. You should know that Superman without seeing if he has an S on his chest. You should know by his face. You should know that's Lois. And, right. you know, you shouldn't just go over to Marvel, hire some big name guy, say, come on over here and draw all your Marvel guys, and we'll put Superman's costume on it, but it'll really be a Marvel guy. J.R. J.R. <laughs> Worse? Yeah, no, that, that's the problem. I have some of the artists. Yeah, you can't really tell. Who's who sometimes. Yeah. In which, where, where? What's that? Who, with. Oh. Yeah. You pretty much. Yeah. It just. Well, I've got another Superman related question for you since we've been talking about how he's from another planet and alien and all that. Mm-hmm. Something my son was asking me here a week or so ago. Is Superman an illegal alien? Uh, that's a good question. Illegal <laughs> in that, uh, <laughs> probably. Probably. Um, which one you're talking about? How could he be illegal if he's not even from the planet? He's He's not not from this planet. So he's, he's, he's an alien. He's an illegal immigrant. He may not be an illegal alien because is it illegal to be an alien? Well, as, as far as coming to the United States, he came in, um, uh, well, see, my thing, my comment to my son was, well, I don't know if I would consider him illegal technically because in the Golden Age, for instance, or maybe the early Silver Age, he, he crashed on Earth as a baby. The, the Kents found him, took him to an orphanage, and then they went to the orphanage and said, well, we'll adopt right. him, and they took him home. Right. I'm assuming somewhere in there they gave him a Social Security card, identification as Clark Kent. Right. So Clark Kent technically would be a lawful citizen of the United States is my, is my rationale. Yeah. Well, it de- again, it depends on if you want to go with in story and how they <laughs> talk about it or not. Uh, I mean, literally not being born here. This is one of the, the reasons why John Burns Superman was a matrix that developed on the way here, right. that he was actually born here so that there wouldn't be any of that kind of, uh, uh, illegality Questions. stuff and questioning <laughs> stuff. Um, in several uh, iterations of it, when the Kents found him, depending on the time of year, some stories, uh, particularly in the Gold and Silver Age, uh, they, like you just said, they took him to an orphanage and then went back and, and adopted him. In other iterations, uh, they say that it was a long winter and uh, Martha actually delivered him at home on the farm that he was not adopted, that that's the story they told everyone else, that because of the big blizzard, they couldn't get out from the farm. They, so I believe they did that in post-crisis. Yeah, too. I think that's post-crisis. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, it depends. But that's an in-story thing. That still means he was he got here by uh not natural means he didn't come into right. the country legally um you know jor-el didn't get a permit and didn't get a green right. card for him to send him <laughs> here so uh in that 
uh, way. He got here illegally, but because he was such a baby, uh, you know, it, it, what would happen right now if, for example, uh, you know, it used to be a, a fairly regular thing that people from Cuba would pile into a boat and many of them would drown trying to cross that 90 miles in a boat. Others would survive. What happened? Let's say a family gets in that boat and everybody but the baby dies. The boat washes up on shore. Uh, that kid is here illegally. But if the person who finds the boat doesn't tell anybody that they just found the boat, they take the baby home with them, raise it as their own. Nobody will know. Um, so in story, he's still illegal, but they've gotten around that. And then by the time they get him into school and all those other things and treat him as his own, he becomes a legal citizen. So, you know, I, I think that gets really hard to hard to explain to a kid uh, because of, again, of all the stuff that's going on in the news and the press today, because right. it means one thing today. Uh, the term. Yes, he's always been an immigrant. Always. Um now people will want to put the illegal or the, uh, you know, the other parts to it. And, and you know, and it brings up all other kinds of questions. What if the main race of Krypton had been brown? Right. And this brown baby pops out of the rocket ship. Okay. Now we have a whole different set of stuff if the Kents find a brown baby. What are they? Yeah, a little harder to pass off. It's a little harder <laughs> to pass off. He's obviously <laughs> adopted now, but do they even accept him? Do they even keep him? I mean, it brings up all kinds of things. We would want to, you know, hope that they're the good people, and they would see the, uh, you know, the same situation of this this child, uh, and that they would want to take him in, and you know, but we don't know. It, it brings up all other kinds of questions that were never even thought of when it was written. It was just assumed. Of course, he's going to look like most Americans, which is why he's going to right. fit in. Nowadays, if he's going to fit in, uh, who knows? It would be a whole different, uh, and depending on where he lands. It's, it's, it, this is true. Bringing in modern, <laughs> bringing in modern uh, problems, good writers can do it well. Bad writers, they're hitting you over the head with it. They're condescending. They're preachy. So uh, I don't know. I would have a hard time. I think I'd like to read that story of of uh, a brown, red, yellow, green Kal-El popping up. I mean, if he's Beast Boy and he's green, boy, that brings up a whole other set of situational problems. <laughs> if he's from the original Brainiac world, Co Co Cola, Cola, Cola. I forgot the name of it. Oh, then then we have a whole other situation right so uh, I, I yeah it's interesting but as far as him being an illegal alien technically yes he's an illegal alien and the Kents cover all of that up and so they are harboring an illegal alien as if he were their own well so also that's another thing I brought up I said I'm like well for instance let's say you, a couple finds a baby in the middle of the road off the side of the road. Mm -hmm. I don't know where the baby's from. Is it from Russia? Is it from, you know, some other Germany? We don't know. They take the baby home. They adopt the baby as their own. The baby gets a green card or, yeah, a green card. Right. 
gets a, a social security card, an American ID and all this. Technically, yes, he's an illegal resident or alien, however you want to phrase it. But, I mean, if he's, if he's got the paperwork for it, even if he is here, quotes, illegally, once the government gives him an identity as Clark Kent, does that make him legal? My, you know. Oh, yeah, at that point. Even I, if he finds out later where he came, you know, the same child, 20 years later, he finds out he's from, you know, <laughs> his parents were from Russia and somebody got dumped in the middle of America. And that's the conversation I have me and my son had. I'm like, well, I don't just mean he's illegal. I'm like, well, kind of, sort of, but well, not. If the government said he's real, he's real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he, they're saying he's real based on false information. Right. That's what my son was saying. So there's the conversations that go in the yeah. boss household. Well, it is it is the only way, and I think they did this at, at part in the Silver Age too, uh, where um, uh, uh, Superman in the Silver Age became he was given uh, uh, um, status as a citizen of both the world, but originally as the U.S. citizen, the President Kennedy gave him uh, really? U.S. Um, status and they each in turn masqueraded for each other kennedy actually uh put the clark kent outfit on and became clark kent to protect superman's secret identity for him the president of the united states of course that was when the president meant something but um that's another story yeah (laughs) but yeah it's it's it is uh, it's a great question and i think that's the beauty of superman and such the genius of this character that came out of these two kids from Cleveland, <laughs> you know, they, they, uh, they, they really, even in his base form, um, you know, basically popping out of the rocket, fully grown in costume, uh, in the radio show, that's how it happened. He, he grew up as an adult on the trip here from Krypton popped out of the rocket, fully grown and in costume. And a couple of people that saw him, a father and his son, named him Superman and gave him the name Clark Kent and said, you should disguise yourself if you're going to want to fit in. Hey, that's a good idea. So, uh, you know, they do what they had to do to get the story going. The radio show just wanted him to get to Superman. They didn't care about Krypton or Smallville or any of that nonsense. What they cared about was getting into Superman's stories as quickly as possible. And this is what right. the TV show with George Reeves did. The actually Superman on Earth uh, was the last episode filmed for the first season, but was the first episode aired. And okay. and you can even see the costume in his first appearance has got a little fray around the ass. It's kind of torn. And of course, you didn't see it on a little, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten inch black and white TV show with poor reception back then. But on big screen TV HD nowadays, you can see the threads pulling apart and the, <laughs> you can see all the stuff. The springboard he jumps off of out the window and you can see it all. But uh, uh, it doesn't take away from the brilliant stories and the great acting of all of those characters. Right. And like I said, it wasn't really it wasn't meant to be watched on our home 50, no. screen, 50 no. inch screens no. and full color and, you know, high definite. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. So. <laughs> when does the show actually hit the airwaves, the Krypton? When is it actually scheduled? Do they have a start date yet? Uh, 2018. 
but we don't have a date for month. <laughs> we don't have sometime an actual in date. 2018. I'm I'm told earlier spring of 2018 is what I'm hearing okay. at this point. All right. Uh, originally, it was going to be on 2017, and then at Comic-Con, they said 2018. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I haven't heard if they've actually filmed mm-hmm. yet, or I know they've just recently cast, what was his name, Adam Sippos, I believe it is, to play Adam Strange. That was the last thing I actually saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the last things that came out from Krypton. Yeah. So, you know, to me, when I saw Adam Strange <laughs> and Hawkgirl were going to be part of it, I, I, you know, it was kind of one of those, oh, cool. You know, kind of those, I don't know how to put it, it was kind of like disappointment and, oh, that could be cool, you know, at the same yeah. time. Because I want it to be a pure Krypton science fiction show. Right. But on the other hand, if you're going to bring in some other kind of DC hero people, Thanagarians, if that's the way they're going, and um, Adam Strange are two good sci-fi you know, out of DC's um, cast of characters to 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 move into that world. I'm not quite sure how they're going to bring in Thanagaria, but uh, that kind of got, um, I don't know what to call it, retconned or redone in late Silver right. Bronze Age to where Thanagar and Krypton were kind of neighbors, you know, in the same okay. general area. Uh, and they've kind of retconned a little bit of the Green Lantern stuff, too. In modern times, they're saying, well, the Green Lantern Corps has been around for eons, why didn't the Green Lantern of Sector, whatever, whatever, help save Krypton? So there's a lot of, you know, questions. Once you start going down this prequel path. Well, there's an excuse as to why he couldn't right. save Krypton, but. Right. Uh, I think they should probably do it so that, you know, nope, because Green Hal Jordan has to go back in time to stop the Green Lantern of that sector from saving Krypton so that Superman could, you know. Right. Because we need Superman more than we need Krypton, which kind of goes in the face of Spock, I guess. The needs of the many outweigh. <laughs> no, this one, we need him more than we need them. Well, but even though that is the needs for the, for the entire universe with Superman being, Superman being around, so actually yes. it would still be the needs of the many, the many outweigh those of the few. Yes. Especially with what Superman becomes. And just think if the Kryptonians had known, wow, we send one of our guys and this is what he's going to be. Why don't we all just go? What the hell are we staying here for? (laughs) Well, see, in in post-crisis, Jor-El knew that. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, when he was watching a monitor on Earth, you know, saying, you know, these guys are primitives. Once Kal-El gets there, he'll gain powers. He can rule them, you know. Well, and even some versions, he picked the Kents. You know, he visited here yeah. and then personally picked them. Yeah. You know, mm, eh, uh, I think Smallville went that route. Smallville went that route. There was a Superboy story in the uh, early 60s where a young Jor-El, a teenage Jor-El, got hold of a time bubble somehow. I forgot how he got it, but... Uh, he popped up on Earth as a teenager and meets Superboy and the Kents and then realizes, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do then. I have to send them to to this family. Again, I, at the time, didn't mind because it was a kid. It was Silver Age. It didn't matter because the next issue would get rid of all that. It was didn't matter. (laughs) 
you know, uh, today where everything becomes canon and continuity, when you screw up like that or put it in a movie, then it's there. Then, you know, it becomes a little heavier. And, and that's why prequels screw everything up, because now it's canon. Right. Uh, it's kind of like Gotham. I'm enjoying Gotham. But I think sometimes, you know, there's going to be some kids out there watching this or teenagers thinking this is the Batman story. And this is not right. the Batman story. This is a Batman story. This is a version of a possible Bruce Wayne growing up to be Batman. But this ain't the real thing. This ain't this right. ain't the guy. You know, uh, you don't meet Raj Al Ghul as a 13 year old, 15 year old. You know, all these things, uh, you know, you got to But I put all yeah. that away. I said, hey, it's a it's an Elseworld. It's them playing with these guys in a different sandbox, and it's not Superman. So, hey, have fun. So, <laughs> right on. Yeah, I, no, I agree. Uh, well, I think that was the questions I had. Did you have anything else there, Pat? No, I, I didn't. I know Matt had a question, but we really kind of yeah, really I think hit that upon was covered, that. Yeah. He was asking about your your take of Krypton from Burns' take, or your impression of Krypton from Burns' take, and how it can relate to the uh, broadcast yeah. of the Krypton show. Or, yeah. Krypton, so we kind of covered that. Yeah, already, I so. really do hope they don't give us the burn Krypton. I don't want a cold, sterile, unemotional, but I don't want them to go the other way and just make it a soap opera uh, full of, you know, who's sleeping with who. And, you know, I want a science fiction show that takes place on an alien planet. Yes. And that's what I'm hoping for. Even if it doesn't tie directly into the Superman we know, uh, I just want a good science fiction show on Krypton. Uh, and the fact that they're going 200 years before the birth of Kal-El, that tells me it's long lifespan and they can tell a lot of stories there. So uh, just don't do anything that screws up now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that may be why I'm hearing conflicting information about whether or not it ties into Man of Steel. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the higher ups aren't quite sure because mm-hmm. they tie it into Man of Steel it ties into the semantic universe, and whatever they do there is more real, right. in quotes. Right. Whereas if they don't tie it in, then they're, they're a little more loose or a little more free to do what they want with the show. Right. So. And I hope that's the direction they go. Let them have some fun with it. Don't tie it too closely. Don't, you know, show us a silhouette of Henry Cavill in the credits as if, right. you know, this is all going to lead to that. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to see that. Uh, but, since uh, some of the guys who created the movie version of the modern Krypton are involved with the show, I think we will see some of the special effects, hopefully the, the Kilex Kilex type robots and the morphing computer stuff. I think we'll see some of the look of the man of steel, uh, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. I thought that was a really nice planet, but I don't know on a TV budget, how they're going to do flying dragons. I, you know, for pets, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a lot of, but we might, who knows? I don't know. Computers are getting really good nowadays. Yeah. And that's one thing I kind of, like we've kind of touched on before. I I miss about, you know, I I love Burns, Superman. That that was my era. I I do. I did miss the exotic animals that we'd see in the pre-crisis. So. Oh, listen, if if uh, I think I said this before, maybe not tonight, though, but if in this show at some point there's either a picture on the wall 
or a zoo or just flying by as part of the natural habitat of the planet that we see the two birds, Nightwing and Flamebird. Right. (laughs) That was silver. That's why they had their names. They were actual birds that lived on the planet Krypton, the Nightwing and the Flamebird. Now, of course, Nightwing is Dick Grayson. But he, but in the comics, it was originally Cal L and Jimmy Olsen was Flamebird. And yes, I, I think I read some of those. Those stories. are great stories. Love those. They become the Batman and Robin of Candor, the Bottle City of Candor. So good, yeah. so good. That's what I love about the Silver Age Krypton. They once they decided to to go back there and play with that world. They had time travel stories where they went back to the actual Krypton. But they also had these stories where both Superman and Supergirl and their cast of characters interacted inside the bottled city of Kandor in the Fortress of Solitude. And those are just terrific stories. Great, great, great stories. Well, unless there's anything else uh, I think we've covered, we've talked about your origins, we've talked about Krypton as far as the comic, we've talked about Krypton as far as what we're expecting from the TV show. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about the upcoming Krypton well, not really. I think we really hit it, and we know what I'm hoping for. I would like to see yes. them do a modern take on the Silver Age Krypton because it's a beautiful planet. It's a living planet, and it's something that Agreed. we're sad to see explode. And we know what you don't want to see. You don't want to see burns. I don't want to see burns. Little <laughs> or uh, the Superman the movie, the sterile cold. Yeah, no, I don't want to <laughs> see that. Krypton. I don't want to see that uh, unless it's like close to the end. Then the Superman the movie version of Krypton starts to make a little more sense because they are getting close to death and you can see that they had to do underground and build different uh, buildings to take advantage. So, you know, I can justify that. I mean, I, I'm a Superman fan. I can justify almost all of them, but (laughs) you know, but some of them I, I really didn't like. So, uh, but I see where they were going. Don't take it personally okay. there, all you burners out there. <laughs> burners. <laughs> Whatever they are. I'm not bashing Burn. He's a good artist. <laughs> well, before I before I bash Burn, no, <laughs> I love his older stuff. Some of his newer stuff is where I have problems. Yeah, yeah his stuff back when I started back in the 80s, early 90s, that, that, he had some, yes, beautiful artwork. Yeah, yeah, it really was some exciting, beautiful artwork. And, uh, I, you know, Michael Bailey and I did uh, a two part uh, with his show and my show. Yes, I listened to those. And, and uh, you know, I pretty much leveled it out there of what I did not like about the John Byrne thing. And uh, that was one of them that came across, I think, is that once you get past all of that, uh, his artwork is is dramatic. And right. there was some, you know, some really beautiful stuff. So, but thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad. I hope I can come back after the show gets going. I'll I'll yeah. come back and and throw in a few more pennies of definitely of yes. wisdom. <laughs> in fact, we plan on reviewing some of the the older Superman comics that has to that's related to. Krypton. Oh, terrific! So I, I definitely plan on. Uh, you'll expect to see me on Facebook. Hey, Bobby, free? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I definitely. No problem. I definitely want to get you back on and talk about some of those, especially the pre crisis 
uh, Krypton Absolutely. stuff that happened Absolutely. in the comics. So. Because most of the stuff that I really liked from the Krypton stories of the Silver Age have been reprinted, and you can find them in Showcase or Chronicles, and you don't have to go out and spend, you know, $100 for a 10-cent comic to get it. Uh, they're out there. You can find them. And the Internet yeah. is a wonderful place. So, yes, so. it is. <laughs> yeah. Enough about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, again, me and Pat and Matt, thanks you for being My here. My pleasure. And we'll definitely have you yeah. on. Definitely. Before we let you go, why don't you tell everybody that's listening where they can find you at if they want to hear more about you and your Superman. Well, I mean, Superman. Sure, life. you can find me under my actual <laughs> name, Bob Fisher, on Facebook if you really want to do that and listen to all my geek talk uh, on Facebook. Uh, but the the show is uh, Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com. That's the easiest way. If you go to supermanforever.com, That'll give you all the links if you happen to be into whatever, however you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, all of the links are there, and that's the easy way to get to it. I'd love you to subscribe to the Superman Forever radio podcast. And I talk about Superman over there all the time. <laughs> and uh, not all of it is Silver Age, but but quite a bit of it is Silver Age. But I uh, like the tagline. It's uh you know, Superman Forever Radio. I talk about Superman from 1938 to Rebirth and beyond. So I'm talking about all kinds of Superman. And there's been a lot of him in the 80 years. And 2018 is going to be a big year. I'm going to uh, put out more episodes, more guests, more special features. And I'm also going to start a Superboy feature over at Superman Forever. Uh, oh, I'm talking about the Superboy. You know, the adventures <laughs> of Superman when he was a boy, that guy, right. you know, uh, all you post, there was another, Superman. yeah, all you post crisis <laughs> guys who want to say, oh, it was the Kents who taught him how to really be the good guy and do it. Well, it was the Kents of the Silver Age that did that. There was right. no Kents prior to that. So keep that in mind, all you young whippersnappers out there. <laughs> That's where you can find me, anybody. Anyway, you want to talk Superman, come on over to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. And I recommend checking out Bob's shows. Uh, like I said, I listened to that one with uh, you and Michael talking about that two-part between your edges shows. That was great. Thank you. I enjoyed the Thank conversation. You. I had a good time with that. Uh, I'm and- having a good time. I'm, I'm doing features. I did a feature with Lex Luthor. Where, where we talk about literally for it was so outrageous for the time three novel length as they called them three part novels and there was three issues one basic storyline took place over three separate comics in uh, uh, the mid 60s so very early for them to do that to bring back continuity and and have a story continue on so even though each one could be considered a one and done, they really do go together. As a, so it's my Lex Luthor. And I also talked uh, recently to the son of Mort Weisinger, oh, Dr. Wow. Henry Weisinger, a uh, psychologist now. And we talked for quite some time about his father's contribution uh, to Superman. And he has a great phrase. Uh, he says that uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster created Superman, but Mort Weisinger developed Superman. If you read Superman from 1940 to 1970, it came across Mort Weisinger's desk. It didn't come out without right. his approval on it. 
So the Silver Age uh, that we know so much about is there. So that's the kind of thing you'll hear on my show, me babbling about Superman. <laughs> so there. But thanks, guys, for inviting me on. This was fun, and uh, I look for, forward to doing it again. And thanks for being on. We'll definitely have you on. And speaking of finding us elsewhere, uh, Pat, if someone's not tired of listening to us talk yet, where can they find you on the Internet? Oh, they can find me on uh, in Twitter at, at Longbox Crusade. Uh, you can also find me on the Facebook there as well, too. Um, it's, just, it's a sh- podcast that I have with me and a few other guys uh, as we are going through my long boxes and we talk we see what's there what issue is for the month uh that's in my long box from there we look at the ads music and movies of that time when that issue came out and how about you aaron well like we found besides here talking to you guys i'm over on the headcast network where i have four different shows i've got my head speaks where i talk about comics movies role-playing whatever geeky things catches my interest I'm about ready to start talking about the Armageddon 2001 crossover from DC in the early uh, 90s. I'm also on Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostender's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I've got my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I'm talking about, again, comics from the late 80s, early 90s. That's my window that I love. Where I talk about the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter. And my last show, why I talk with you on there. I mean, you talk about G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. a real American hero, and that show's called G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. And me, you, and whatever guests I can get to show up and talk with me, <laughs> we cover the, the 80s Marvel comic book series G.I. Joe, and we started talking about the cartoon, and every once in a while I have specials covering the toys and other things. So, but they can all be found on individual feeds or under headcast networks. On any of your, your, uh, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast at. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Go take a look. And speaking of which, if you guys like this show, uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, I would, as we've said before, we talked about last episode. I would love a five star review because my ego needs that, <laughs> but I want, I want an honest review. Let me know what you, in fact, we talked last episode. We had a guy that didn't care much for our zero episode. Which is perfectly fine. I mean, any criticism will help us make a better show, and that's what I want. And I'm sure Pat and Matt agree with me. Yes. Yep. We want this to be the best show we can. But otherwise, I say we're, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Just look for the Krypton Podcast. Uh, leave us a message, send us an email, Krypton at or Krypton Podcast at Gmail dot com, and we'll read your email on the air. If you rate us on iTunes, we can read your rating over the air. Uh, but interact with us. Let us know what you guys think. If you guys enjoyed listening to Mr. Fisher here talk about Superman, we'll let us know. We'll get him back on here sooner. Uh, otherwise, this may be the last time you hear from him. No, I'm, just- <laughs> I'm joking, Bob. I, I loved, I love talking. I love hearing your stories. Yeah, I got stories. That's one I'm thing for living a long time. You tend to build up a few stories. This is true. <laughs> I guess then this, anyone has anything else I guess that's where we're going to end this okay so remember I'm Aaron I'm Pat I'm Bob and you've been listening to the Krypton, Krypton Podcast. Podcast thank you for joining us on the Krypton Podcast be sure to check out our next exciting episode also visit our website at kryptonpodcast.com and on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Krypton Podcast also Be sure to send your thoughts to us at kryptonpodcast at gmail.com. 
We look forward to hearing from you. Also, rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, this has been the Krypton Podcast. your krypton krypton <laughs> the krypton, 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 po- krypton podcast the krypton podcast